I want to say thank you to Anton and Ricky and our whole band for playing that so beautifully. I heard that song months ago and asked them, could you think you could do this? And they just did it beautifully. And I just want to say thanks to them and praise God for what it contains. So thank you. We're going to sing that again in the weeks to come, and I can't wait to do it, to sing and worship with you. Before we dive in this morning to a brand new series and brand new content, let me just pause for a minute and say, last week, we had a very special guest speaker with us, Dr. Christopher Yuan. It was here, and if you missed that last week, I know uh, some of you were traveling and life is busy. You can pick up and watch any of our sermons, particularly those uh, on, online on the church app or on our YouTube channel, both Saturday night and Sunday, because they were different. And I know that many of you expressed how much that uh, message impacted you and inspired you and encourage you and touch you. And we also know that for some of you, the content, uh, as he talked about, the great story of redemption and reconciliation and uh, freedom out of sexual brokenness, how for some of you that was a painful or difficult message to hear for various reasons. And I just want you to know we understand that. We know. It's a hard conversation. And that's okay. It's okay uh, not to be okay. And not all of us agree on everything. And we all struggle to understand what God wants for us. And we want you to know that this is still a place for where you are, wherever you are on that journey. So let's bow and ask God to speak to us through his word now. Father, we pause and acknowledge that you are sovereign over all creation and your word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, you tell us. It's able even to pierce our thoughts and intentions and cut us to the heart. We don't always like it, but we need it. So we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. As I said, today we begin a brand new series in the book of Colossians, and I know I'm like the pastor who cried excited about a new series, because I'm always excited about the new thing. This series is going to be fantastic. I'm very excited about it. This book is only four chapters. It's not very long, but it's just crammed with deep theology and practical wisdom. If you've ever read Colossians, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it's not long. I encourage you, listen. If you don't have this, get the U version on your Bible app on your phone. You can listen to it as you drive to work, as you come home, as you get up in the morning, or read along if you like the regular paper and words on a page, but read the book of Colossians as we study it over the next six weeks because it's really amazing. The preaching team, which is me and Pastor Brian, Pastor Sterling, uh, Pastor Andrew, and uh, Joe Scavato, and a couple of us, we meet every week at th- on Thursday mornings at Limestone Coffee to talk through the texts and look ahead at what God's going to give us to preach on. And when, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at Colossians 1. And we were discussing how to outline it, how to, what, it, what our, we thought our church family needed to hear. And we we're just going back and forth because it's like every phrase is pregnant with meaning. And you just can't, we started thinking we need, we need 12 weeks, 24 weeks of sermons to get all this in there. Uh, it was just like uh, an explosion of excitement of all the things that we were seeing in the text. And Pastor John Bechtel, our new executive pastor, said it's like a fireworks show going off all at once. And then he said, you know... Like in 2012, the San Diego City fireworks, they were supposed to be a 22-minute show, and they made a mistake in the electronic switcher, and it all went off in 37 seconds. And it looks like this right here. (laughs) They said you could see it from space. People are excited, then they get scared. (laughs) You can't really see it, but they start running for their lives later. You know, the more you read it, in all seriousness, the book of Colossians, the more you see God's glory and majesty and power in it. And I hope you'll read along with us. In fact, we're going to be memorizing a portion of it together starting next week. 
Um, I want to encourage you to read it as we go and to memorize and study. And if you've never done that before, it's pretty simple. Just read the text, go back and listen over the sermons and see what God speaks, uh, what he says to you through it. So if you have your Bible, open to Colossians 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses together and dig into what God has for us this morning. This, by the way, Paul wrote this book, Paul the Apostle, wrote this little, it's a letter actually. Let's see what he has to say to these Christians living in the ancient city of Colossae and us. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <sighs> That's just the first half of chapter 1 in his prayer. You look a little stunned. Are you stunned? It's amazing. This, we're it's, it's, we're going to walk through this prayer, and it's really incredible. Paul wrote this letter to Christians, a house church, much smaller than this gathering. We have three campuses and multiple services. You're talking about a couple, maybe a hundred at the most, believers in the city of Colossae. He had never visited this city. He'd never been to this church. Uh, Putting the pieces together, it's most likely Epaphras, who Paul had led to Christ when Paul was in Ephesus, which is a, a city not too far from Colossae. In fact, you'll see a map here on the screen. Colossae there is in large print with a red dot, but actually Colossae was a much smaller, insignificant city. Ephesus is to the north, and on the coast there you see Laodicea and some other cities there. Colossae is in in southern Turkey today. And it had passed its prime. Maybe 300 years before the time of Jesus, Colossae was an economic and cultural power. But they changed to where the roads went along the river Lycus, and Laodicea became a bigger deal. It kind of like, uh, like an old steel town that used to be booming with industry, and now the industry has shrunk, and it's, no, it's kind of, you've been through those towns where there's no business there, it's sort of dying out. Colossae is kind of like that. It's the least significant city of all those that Paul wrote to. You've got a small house church movement that Paul's never been to. He's only heard about from a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras is a guy that Paul led to Christ, and he maybe was from Colossae for all we know, and started a church there. Visits Paul when he's in prison, likely in Ephesus, maybe in Rome, but probably Ephesus. So Paul's in prison. Epaphras visits him and tells him, hey, you're not going to believe it. There's a church that started in Colossae. Little old Colossae. Maybe like Montgomery. You know, like Aurora, the big city, city of lights, and then you've got Montgomery. If you're from Montgomery, you know how it feels, right? (laughs) There's a bunch of Christians there that have come to trust in Jesus. Paul, in prison, says, I'm going to write to them, and I'm going to pray for them. And this is the prayer, and this is the beginning of the letter that he writes. Can you imagine 
what it was like for them to receive that? You know, they, they don't win awards like best place to live. They're not on ranking on anybody's like place that people move to. Just Colossae. But their, their heyday is way in the rearview mirror. It's a little town kind of in the middle of nowhere, insignificant. Small band of Christians. And Paul, the apostle, the Paul, who wrote more than three quarters of the New Testament, heard about them, prays for them, and is writing to them. It must have been so encouraging to them to hear this prayer read out loud to them. And I think when Paul says that he's not stopped praying, from the day we heard about you, we've not ceased. Now, I don't think he means like he's a monk, like he never, ever stops praying. He just sits alone in his room praying all day. I think what Paul's saying there is prayer is his initial response. It's his reflexive reaction. It's his habit. It's what he does when he hears about something, when he has a moment. What's your reflex reaction when you hear interesting news or you have a moment to yourself? I know what mine is. I bet I know what yours is. It's this. Right? This is our, this is our reflex response to pull out our phones, to start scrolling, to see what's up with people on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Paul, Paul is saying his immediate reaction upon hearing this news is to pray, to pray. And then to write to them his prayer. And Paul's prayer for the Colossians is God's will for us, his church today. I'm going to draw a couple of icons here for you as we go. Paul's prayer for the Colossians is God's will for us today. So what the content of Paul's prayer is really God's heart for the church today, wherever you find the church. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you. For many of us, prayer is, it's like the prelude, or it's obligation, or it's a way of ending a meeting, or, or what you do before dinner, or it's something you do out of, when you're in crisis. I talked to a guy who says, you know, I don't pray that much because I don't want to be the kind of guy who only prays when I need something. Moms and dads, can you imagine if your kids thought that? Well, I would call home, but I don't want to be the kind of son who only calls when I need something. You're like, call, just call. Whatever the reason, call, right? We, we want to talk to you. And so maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I'm not that good at praying. What should I pray? Anybody struggle with what to pray? Anybody struggle with how to pray? Show of hands. You're lying. You're all lying. <laughs> I talk to you, right? How should I pray? How, Paul is going to tell us. He's going to show us how to pray. First, in verse 5 and 6, he says, pray that the gospel would increase. He says, you come to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's been increasing in the world and in you. It's been spreading throughout the world and growing in your own heart, Paul says. Pray that. If you don't know what to pray, you could do a lot worse than this week just praying, God, I pray that the good news of your son, of his love and mercy and grace, would spread in Kane County, would spread in the Tri-Cities, would spread throughout the world, that more people would know who you are and how much you love them. And I pray that I would know it in a deeper way too. If you're wondering what to pray, that's a good place to start. Pray the gospel would increase and it would bear fruit. Pray for the good news of Jesus in your life. You have a friend who's sick, pray for her healing. Absolutely. But pray also that the good news of God's love for her in Christ, the gospel, would give her a peace in the midst of her suffering. You've got a friend who's out of work, pray for a job. Of course pray for that. But pray also that the good news of Jesus would remind him, that the gospel would remind him his identity is not in his career. 
It's in who Christ says he is. And that's the greatest provision God's given him. It can't be taken away. You've got a spouse who's, or a child who's racked with anxiety and fear. Pray for their healing and deliverance and treatment, of course. Pray also that the deep security of knowing God's love would undergird them. The gospel is not just something you believe once upon a time. Pray for it to increase in every situation and to grow in the world. You want in on what God's doing in the world? You want insight of what God's doing, what his purposes is, and what he's up to? Pray. Pray. I'm not talking like a crystal ball thing. I'm saying pray for this. God, I pray that the message of your love in Christ would spread, starting with my house, starting with my heart, and throughout the world. Now, I tried several times to outline this passage from verses 9 through 14, but I, 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 I struggled with it, so instead I'm going to draw it. Is that okay if I just draw it instead of outline it? I'm better at that anyway. Uh, so Paul says, he prays, uh, and we'll see it here, that he said, we not cease to pray for you, asking may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So the first thing he prays for is that we would be filled. He prays for our filling. This is a better kind of filling than the filling I used to be experiencing. I pray that you'd be filled with what? Filled with the knowledge of his will. So I try to think of like little, little images. I hope this is not gimmicky, but I'll help you remember the power of this amazing prayer. That you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. How do we know his will? He's made his will known to us in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. So that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. In other words, the light would go on in our minds and hearts. We'd get it, in other words. So God, Paul's, Paul doesn't pray for their circumstances. Later in the letter, we're going to see they have some challenges with some false teaching and some infighting and some issues going on. But he doesn't pray for that stuff first. He prays, I want you to be filled up with the knowledge of his will. Now, how many of you would say you'd like to know more of God's will? Show of hands. All right, everyone says that. Uh, only, I bet there's nobody here going, nope, I totally know what God's will is in all situations, right? We all say that, but what most of you mean, most people mean when they say that is, his will about my specific circumstances, right? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should we buy this thing? Should we, you know, what should we do? And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's, this is a much more profound and deeper kind of insight, Paul says. Notice what he says, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is he talking about? He's not just talking about your present circumstances, He's praying that these Colossians and that we would be filled with an understanding of who God is and what his purposes are in the world. That's the knowledge of his will. Where do you find that? In his word. Who is God and what's he up to in the world? That's what you need more than anything, even more than resolution to your present circumstances. This is what Paul prays for. Not so you'd have a head full of knowledge, right? So you'd know things. But look what he says next. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so what? So as, you, so as to walk in a manner worthy. In other words, the reason Paul prays that you'd be filled with all spiritual knowledge of his will is so you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We wouldn't walk barefoot now. It's too cold, but in case, you know. Those are some weird toes. Anyway, right? So you'd walk worthy of the Lord. So it will make a difference in how you live. 
Now that phrase, walk worthy, don't let that intimidate you. I've talked to a lot of men in particular who's, who, who feel like I'm not worthy. That's the whole thing. I'm not worthy. Yeah, that's right. You're not. Neither am I. None of us are. Who of us is worthy of the Lord? You're not. But Paul's saying, you don't, in other words, you don't walk worthy so that God will give you his grace. He's given you his grace to enable you to walk worthy. That's the gospel. Paul prays, I want you to be filled with this knowledge of God's will, what he's up to in the world, what he's done in Jesus Christ, what his purposes are, where history is going. Why? So that you would live different. So it would change how you walk. It would change how you behave, how you live, the way you make decisions, the way you treat people. That's what he means when he says that we'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Not just so that we'd be Christians who are, have a head full of knowledge. That's not, that's not helpful. Paul says later in Romans, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And then in, back in verse 6, he says that you understood the grace of God in truth. Really understood the gospel, meaning grace doesn't, you don't walk worthy to earn grace. Grace is the kind of thing that changes you. It makes you worthy. Grace comes to the unworthy person and then begins to change you, transform you to a person who walks worthy. Don't, don't think of grace in terms of, and I've talked to people like this, that think of grace in terms of like, well, you know, God died on the cross for my sins in Jesus Christ. That's God's move. Now it's your move. What are you going to do? Jesus died for you. Your turn, your move. What are you going to do? Well, I, I, I don't know. I'll go to church, I guess. I, I'll give a little bit. I, mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm kind of busy, but I'll, I'll try to read my Bible more. I'll serve. And then you feel unworthy, right? How many of you have been in this cycle where God gave me everything and I got to somehow measure up? I can't. That's not the gospel. Don't think of it as God's move and your move. It's a dynamic relationship. You come to understand God's love for you in Jesus Christ. That goes from here into here, fills your heart, and then you begin to realize he's called you into a kind of life, a walk with him, a journey with him. That's what we mean when we say experience grace around here, to begin to walk with him. And then what's the point of, of that walking? What's the sign of that kind of walk, he says? Notice, Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Right? So we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so we would bear fruit. Of course, apples and pears. Right? That's what he wants. He wants a fruitful life. Fruit's all over the Bible. A fruitful life. Producing fruit. fruit keeping fruit that bears with repentance, Paul says. That you would bear fruit. Now, notice, you're not a fruit producer. You're a fruit bearer. You know the difference? A fruit producer is not you. That's God's job. You go apple picking. Have anybody been apple picking yet this fall? Anybody going? Go out to the orchard, you walk around, and what do you look for? You look for the ones that are laying on the ground, right, with the wormholes and the big bruises and the right ones. <laughs> my kids, my boys were little, Ben would just like pick them up. And I'm like, don't eat that. The good ones are right there. You look for the, the, the best looking apples you can find hanging on the tree. But the, the branches are just display racks for what's being produced by the roots, the life of the tree. Spiritually speaking, you don't produce good stuff in your life. God's grace does that. But your life, your walk becomes a display rack for God's grace in action. You're a a bearer of of fruit, not a producer. The way that you talk to people or about people when they're not around, the way that you handle your resources and money and time, 
the way that you interact with your coworkers at work or the people that live down the street from you or are sitting next to you. The way, the way that we live and walk is putting God's grace on display, what he's doing in us. That's what, it's, that's what he means. I pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God, not so you have a head full of knowledge, so that you live different. And that different kind of life would produce something by God's grace. You'd bear fruit. People would see it. And then he says, when that happens, what? He says, you're increasing in the knowledge. That you're, you're actually, that actually, as you do that, your knowledge of God and his will increases. That guy has a weird forehead, doesn't he? That as we do that, our knowledge of who God is and what he's up to increases. So it's a dynamic relationship. I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you would live differently and then your life would bear and show the fruit of God's grace in your, in, in, at work. And as you do that, you grow in your knowledge. You grow in your experience of who he is and what he's up to. I talked to a man who told me, he said, I don't, I'm questioning my Christian faith. We were having breakfast, and he said, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I said, why? He goes, well, I grew up in the church. I made a decision. I prayed the prayer. I've been baptized, but I don't know that I am. I said, why do you think that? He said, because if I was a real Christian, I would be better than I am by now. It's a fascinating statement. You ever thought of that? Anybody ever felt that way? I ought to be better than I am by now. <laughs> yeah, me too. But the question is not, do I look at my life and say, well, since I'm not as good as I think I ought to be, therefore I don't belong to him, is like, am, am I letting his, the knowledge of his will fill my mind and heart? And am I letting that guide my actions and produce fruit and teach me about who he is? Or am I trying hard, you know, just a grinder trying to earn my way, prove myself, measure up, be good enough? And then, Paul goes on. The next phrase is really, really important. He says, increasing the knowledge of God, look at what's next, being strengthened with all power. We're strengthened then with whose power? Huh? Whose power is it? God's. This is not insignificant, friends. Paul says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that your life would be different and you'd produce, you'd bear much fruit and it would change the way that you think and that God would give you the strength to do this. Strengthened with his power according to his might, he's the one that does this. He strengthens you. This prayer is, it's just loaded. It's like a fireworks show going off in our hearts when you think about it. Where does, and then Paul says, Pray that you would grow and be strengthened, and notice what he says, for all endurance and patience. Now, when you, if you just stop there, for all, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, you, if, you, if you just stop right there, you'd think, yeah, it's hard. Life is hard. I need to be strengthened by God just to endure, to be patient. But notice what he says next. He says, with joy. How many of you put endurance and patience together with joy in your minds? Like, I'm driving back from, we were up visiting my youngest son uh, uh, in T Camp Timberlee, trying to get back here for the S'mores and More event, which was fantastic we had last night. What a great night we had. And I'm trying to get here in time. I'm driving down 47, which you cannot drive fast on 47. At least nobody else does, right? And I'm in Huntley, and there's just red lights forever, and I'm just so irritated. Endurance, patience, strengthen me with joy? Not much joy, right? 
My wife just puts her book on tape on and just kind of turns toward the window right now. We don't think about patience with joy or endurance with joy. We think about endurance as like just grit your teeth and get through it. I have to endure this. Why does Paul put with joy there? Well, because of what comes next. And this is really important for our lives. The joy comes when he says, giving thanks, right? Giving thanks to the Father. I couldn't think of a good icon for thanks, so I guess I'm just drawing this. That the, re- the joy comes by our thankfulness. I pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you'd walk in a different way. Your life would be different. It'd be characterized by, f- by gospel fruit. And you'd increase in understanding who God is as you do that. And God would strengthen you for this because you're going to need it. To endure and be patient because life is not easy. It's hard. But there'd be great joy. Where does the joy come from? By giving thanks to God the Father. Now, this is the best part of the prayer. It's amazing what happens when you focus your mind and heart on thankfulness. I have a group of men that I meet with on Tuesday mornings. We have an exercise we do a couple times a year where we just take out a list and we sit and we just start writing. What are you thankful for? Free form. Just start writing. You think, you know, you, you think you'd be done in a couple lines? You could spend hours, if you're really attentive, filling that piece of paper. It's amazing what happens in your mind and heart when you take your eyes off of what you think you lack and start thinking deeply about what you've been given, what the Father has done for you. The list is long. How many remember Angela Ewan, uh, Christopher Ewan's mom up here with that long list, right, of count your blessings? Did you ever do that? You ever read uh, um, Boss Camp's book, 10,000 something or other? Um, I can't remember the name of it now. But anyway, somebody gave it to me. And it has like a little pink cover with a bird's nest and robin's egg. I'm like, I'm not reading that girly book. I put it aside, you know. <laughs> Years, about a year later, I picked it up and read it. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Focus your mind and heart on all that you've been given. It changes you. And Paul goes on then and explains this to us. Strengthened by him to endure with all joy what's coming in our lives. And then he says this, this last part. I want you to see this. These three words. He says, he's transferred us out of the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. He's qualified us, delivered us, and transferred us. Those three words. Let's talk about that for a minute because this is really what we're thankful for. He's qualified you. He's delivered you. And he's transferred you. Into what? This one image to kind of capture what Paul's saying here. Into the kingdom of his son. This is sloppy. But I'm committed now. I've got to finish it. Paul's saying here, look, you want to make a list of what to be grateful for? Focus on what God has done for you in Christ. He's qualified you. What does that mean? Remember we talked about walking worthy? 
You ever feel unworthy? Do you ever feel like, I, I, I know I've talked to some people who said, I, one time a guy said I was nervous to come in here. What might happen to me? What do you think? The roof's going to cave in? Do you ever feel unworthy? You ever feel unworthy on other believers who you perceive to be more spiritual than you or better Christians than you? The gospel says, stop thinking that way. We're all unworthy. That's the point. But he's qualified you. He, by his grace, has made you worthy. Friends, listen, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you're worthy because of him. He's made you worthy. He's qualified you for what? To have a share in his inheritance. And what that means is he's delivered you out of the domain of darkness. Some of you walked in here feeling like you're in the dark. You're in the dark in your life. You feel that darkness. The message of the gospel is he has qualified you to receive a share of his inheritance, taking you out of the kingdom of darkness and then transferred you where? into the kingdom of his, uh, of his son. This, now I want you to see, this actually is what you're to be filled with. This is what fills you. This, the knowledge of this is what's meant to fill us, to overflowing. What we need, friends, more than then our political system to be realigned, our educational system to be improved, our economic system to be improved, your own circumstance of your life to be improved. And you can pray for all that, and you should. Above all, what you need is to be filled with this knowledge. I think Paul's prayer for the Colossians is God's heart for Chapel Street Church. That you, men and women of Chapel Street Church, would be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you'd walk worthy of the Lord, living lives that are fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of who he is, being strengthened according to his glorious might, giving thanks to the Father that he's qualified you, delivered you, and transferred you. That's gospel living. That's what the church is here for. This, we're only getting started in Colossians. This letter is amazing. I want to encourage you this week to read this prayer. And I want to encourage you something else. This is a letter that Paul wrote. Remember how it might have felt to those Colossians? Hearing this letter read out loud to them? How many of you write letters anymore? Anybody write letters? A few of you? Stamp, envelope, pen, and ink, you know letters? <laughs> Texts are nice. Emails are fine. I'm going to give you a little encouragement, a spiritual challenge this week. Write a letter. Write a note. And write to somebody and let them know that you're praying for them. And if you're not sure what to write, write this. I mean, you could draw that if you want, but you could just write, right? I'm praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of who he is. I'm praying that your life would increase in fruitfulness. I'm praying that God would strengthen you according to his might. I'm praying that you would know, not just here, but deep in here, that he's qualified you, that you are worthy because of Jesus, that he's delivered you out of darkness. You don't have to walk in darkness anymore. And that he's transferred you into his kingdom. You have no idea what that letter might mean. I went digging around in my files this week because I was thinking about letter writing, and I pulled out a letter of a friend who's a pastor who's been a mentor of mine for years, lives in a different part of the country, wrote to me when I took over the lead pastor seat from Pastor Coffee about three and a half years ago. He wrote to encourage me along these lines. Not about what we're going to do as a church, or, but to, he said, Jeff, I pray that you know who he is, that he's the one who's called you, he's the one who's qualified you, He's the one who's filling you for this role. Paul's prayer for this ancient body of believers is God's heart for you this morning. And I hope these little images stick with you. 
And as you leave from here, you'd remember what he's, who he is and what he's done. That being filled with the knowledge of his will would change you, would really change you. And that being changed, you'd write to somebody this week and tell them you love them. Even more, tell them God loves them and you're praying for them. Speaking of that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we all desperately need to be filled. As a matter of fact, we are being filled, but with all the wrong stuff. So we pray that you would fill us by your spirit with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would walk in a manner worthy of who you are and bear fruit in every good work and that your spirit would strengthen us according to your glorious might as we increase in the knowledge of who you are that we would give thanks to you, God, for all that you have done. Because though we are unworthy and living in darkness, you have qualified us, you have made us worthy by your Son, and you have delivered us out of darkness and transferred us into your kingdom. We belong to you, Lord. We're part of your family. Let that knowledge settle into our minds and hearts. Change our lives. Let it radiate out from this place into our community. God, we pray that your gospel would increase and bear fruit here in our hearts, in our church family, in our community, and in all the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.